We're going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes this morning. So if you have a Bible, open to Ecclesiastes right after the book of Proverbs, if you are using Bible 1.0 and not looking at it on your phone. Ecclesiastes, we're going to be in chapter 1. I've been excited about this series for several weeks. This is one of those times that I really enjoy my job and what I do. I'm excited about the opportunity to talk about the book of Ecclesiastes. If I'm honest, though, like many of you in this room, I haven't always had jobs that were my favorite. I haven't liked every job that I've had. Some of them have been difficult. Some of them have been mind-numbingly boring. Probably the most mind-numbingly boring job I ever had was after my freshman year in college. I worked at a patent law firm. Now, I'm not knocking patent law, if that's your profession. Uh, It was my particular job that was challenging and boring. Here's what my job was. At the beginning of the summer, I said, what is it that you want me to do? What, how am I going to earn my $6 an hour that you're going to pay me? Uh, which at the time felt like a fortune. Right? So they walked me into the file room. And, the, and this file room was enormous, the size of a small house, probably 1,000 to 1,200 feet of files, floor to ceiling, on large kind of rollable wooden shelves, those types of shelves that they buy so they can cram more shelves in the room and still open them up to get between the shelves. And they said, here's your job. Go through the files and find everything that is older than 20 years, pull the file out and shred it and throw it away. Now, I cannot overemphasize how many files We're in the room. Uh, So my job at the beginning of the day, I would walk in at at 8.30 or 9 or whatever, and I would just get a huge stack of old files. I'd go find the date. If it was more than 20 years old, I'd stack it up, and I would sit down in a chair with a shredder on one side and a trash can on the other side, and for eight hours, I would go, right? And then once the can filled up over here, I'd dump it into this one over here and do it again. Eight hours a day, five days a week, all summer long, for like 12 weeks. One thing that was hard about it was at the time, so many of my friends were working retail jobs, fast food or grocery stores or things along those lines. And because I worked in an office, they thought I was doing something important with my time. Because I would dress up and I would go in and I would come out and I was in this big, tall building and I'd have lunch sometimes with my friends and they'd say, so what did you do today? And I could see it in their eyes, this thought that you must be doing something valuable and meaningful because you're in an office and I never knew what to say that would make me look as cool as they thought I was. And as I sat there shredding those files all summer long, of course, I began to philosophize, right? Because I didn't even have like an iPhone to distract me from the nature of this task. So I would think, how did I get here? And what is the trajectory of my life forward? Why am I doing this? And then what would happen is I would begin to actually think about the files themselves. And at some point during the summer, it occurred to me that I am shredding what was once somebody's life's work, right? Somebody had an idea for an invention or a chemical compound or something they thought this will change my industry or change the world. And so they came to this patent firm and they paid like 300 bucks an hour and they developed this patent and they sent it out into the world. And in most cases, it was stuff I'd never heard about. And here I was making six bucks an hour, shredding their work 20 years later so that they could make room for more files that would sit in the file room for 20 years until some other kid making 15 bucks an hour would sit down 
and shred more files. And it was one of those moments that highlighted to me the cyclical and seemingly futile nature of life on earth. If you've ever had a job like that, you have a little glimpse into the book of Ecclesiastes. If you have ever asked the question, what's the point, right? What is the point of everything that I am doing? I go to work, I come home, I go to sleep, I wake up, I go to work, my kids make a mess, I sweep it up, they make a new mess. I sweep it up, they make a new mess. I spend time with my family and my family's gonna die and I will be forgotten and everything I do isn't gonna make a dent in the reality of the world. If you have ever felt like that, you have a glimpse into the book of Ecclesiastes. The writer of Ecclesiastes was probably King Solomon, although he never says his name in the book. But tradition says this was King Solomon. Throughout the book, he calls himself Kohelet, or the preacher, the teacher, the one who's going to teach the congregation wisdom about life. And if you think about Solomon, and he says this throughout the book, he had more wealth than anybody in Israel up to that point. He had more wisdom. He knew more stuff than anybody. People came from the far corners of the earth to understand his wisdom. He had more women than anybody had ever had. He had gardens. He had pleasure. He had everything that you and I say, I want that and it will make my life complete. He had it all. And yet, you know what he says repeatedly throughout the book? Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. We're going to talk about the meaning of that word and how what Solomon drills into is the thing that all of us realize at the deepest part of our hearts, but we're afraid to verbalize. And it is this, that apart from the intervention of God, you and I will have lives that make zero impact on the world. That fundamentally, the world stays the same And there's a lot of activity, but no real progress. And so we go, what is the point? If we're honest, all of us would say, there's probably one or two things that we would go, if I had that, that would make my life what I want it to be. If I were married, that would make my life what I want it to be. Or if I were married to somebody else, that would make my life what I want it to be. If I had kids, that would make my life what I want it to be. If I had nice kids, that would make my life what I want it to be, right? If I had a job, if I had a better job, if I had money, if I had more money, if I had more pleasure, that would make my life what I want it to be. And so we chase after these things that we believe will make our lives what they're supposed to be. And when we get to the top of that mountain after we've climbed and chased, we realize this is it. This is all there is. Tim Keller, in his book, Counterfeit Gods, says this, getting our heart's deepest desires might be the worst thing that can ever happen to us. Why is that? Because our heart's deepest desires are often things that we turn into idols, and we bow down before them, and we worship them, and then when we get them, they don't satisfy. And Solomon lived a life that illustrated that principle. Everything on which you place the weight of eternity will not satisfy. 
And so in verses 1 through 11 of Ecclesiastes 1, you're going to see this principle. Everything is vanity. He's going to say that. And we're going to talk again about that word in a moment. But the underlying principle of the book of Ecclesiastes is simply this, that nothing on earth can satisfy our need for lasting significance. Nothing on earth can satisfy our need for lasting significance. There is simply nothing in the world, whether it is uh, pleasure, whether it is money, whether it is power, whether it is knowledge, whether it is political stability, whatever it is, nothing on earth will satisfy that need in our hearts to have a life that makes an impact forever. Nothing on earth. I was thinking about how when Shannon and I moved into our very first house that we bought. The very first day we were in that house, we were arranging things in the house and uh, there were a few extra boxes. And so we said, we'll put these up in the attic. And so I pulled down the little attic door and I crawled up into the attic with this box. And I had not grown up spending time in attics or uh, inside the ceiling. And so I made a rookie mistake. And that is that uh, I stepped right on the drywall between the beams rather than on the beam. And as soon as I stepped on that drywall, I knew I had made a potentially fatal mistake as my feet went right through the drywall into the room below. Now, fortunately, I did not step in a spot where I fell eight feet to the ground below, but instead we had placed a high, narrow desk right under where I stepped so that I fell about 18 inches, and my feet landed on top of this desk, so half of me was in the attic, and half of me was down below, and Shannon heard me holler and came in to see my legs standing on top of this desk in the middle of our bedroom. Very first night in our very first house, we slept with a giant hole in the corner of the room, a reminder to me that drywall was never built to withstand the weight of a human being. Solomon's going to say this, nothing in your life and mine, is meant to bear the weight of your eternal hopes and dreams. Nothing you rely on. And the more weight you press on your marriage, on kids, on money, on power, on education, on career, the more weight you press on it, the faster it will crumble and lead to dissatisfaction. And where Solomon will take us is this, that the best we can do is look to the one who created the universe, who understands how it's meant to operate, and is capable of affecting change. What we're going to see as Christians, of course, is that Jesus is the one who can bring meaning. Jesus is the one who can bring change and life and all of those things we look for. But before we get to that place, we need to dive in a bit this morning to the despair that we are going to feel if we try to place the weight of eternity on things that weren't meant to bear up under that weight. So look with me at Ecclesiastes chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The words of the preacher, Kohelet, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. He begins with the word that will probably be the most critical word in Ecclesiastes, which is vanity. Some of your Bibles may say meaninglessness. I think that's a little bit of an overstatement, actually, for this Hebrew word. This word is hevel, hevel, and essentially it means something that is fleeting, inconsequential, 
cannot make a difference. Sometimes it's a word that's used to refer to our breath or the wind as it blows from place to place. So in Psalm chapter 39, the psalmist says, Lord, make me to know my end and what is the extent of my days. Let me know how transient I am. Behold, you have made my days as hand breaths and my lifetime as nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath, that is, havel, vanity. Surely every man walks about as a phantom. In other words, uh, our lives apart, particularly from God's intervention, are as inconsequential as a shadow or a breath of air. On a cold morning like this, some of you may have come out to get in your car and you breathed out into the air and you saw that little white puff of breath and maybe your kids went, that's cool, I can see my breath, right? But as soon as you breathe, what happens? It disappears. That's the imagery of vanity. As soon as it begins, it's over. And it has no real substance no real significance, no ability to influence the world. So you take your breath, all the breath in your lungs, and you stand next to a huge mountain and you blow. What's going to happen? Nothing. Nothing. Even if you have not brushed your teeth for months, your breath will not affect that mountain. And Solomon says, that is what life consists of. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And yet often in our activity and our running back and forth and our desire to make a change in the world, we don't see it, right? We believe that the things that we do are going to make a lasting impact. And Solomon would say to us, you're wrong. Now again, he's going to qualify as we walk through the book. But fundamentally he will say, All the activity, all the things we put weight on will not last. So he goes on and he says, here's why life under the sun, life under the earth is vanity. All right, the first reason is this. He says, because the world never changes. Look at verses three through seven. He says, what advantage does man have in all his work, which he does under the sun? A generation comes or it goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Also, the sun rises and the sun sets and hastening to its place, it rises there again, blowing toward the south, then turning toward the north. The wind continues swirling along and on its circular courses, the wind returns. All the rivers flow into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place where the rivers flow, there they flow again. In other words, a generation goes, a generation comes. We run about, we do everything we do. And guess what? The sun still comes up. The sun still goes down. The wind goes around and around in circles. The rivers flow to the sea and then they go back again and the sea never gets any higher. You cannot fundamentally change the nature of the earth. And so generation after generation after generation comes into the world, grows old and dies and the next generation comes in and grows old and dies and nothing fundamentally gets different. I was reading a novel over Christmas called Jaber Crow. It's by Wendell Berry, an American author. And he tells the story in the, in the first person. Jaber Crow tells his story in the first person about his life as a barber in a small town in Kentucky, a fictional small town in Kentucky, and how he begins as a very young man in this town. And he works as a barber all the way until he is old and he retires and he moves out of town. And one of the things he observes is how people just come and go and come 
and go. Not because they move in and out of town, but because generations come and generations go. And he says this, the generation that was old and dying when I settled in Port William had memories that went back to the Civil War. And now my own generation that calls back to the First World War is old and dying. And gray hair is growing on the heads that had just looked over tabletops at the time of World War II. I can see how we grow up like crops of wheat and are harvested and carried away. And then the next one comes, and the next one comes, and the next one comes. I want to show you a picture. I don't know if you recognize these people. Uh, This picture was taken probably in the late 1800s, maybe early 1900s. Uh, They obviously are very dressed up for the picture. They appear to have four sons, and I think that's a daughter there on the end, although it's hard to tell with some of these old pictures. Uh, You don't know who these people are, and here's the reason. I don't know who these people are. In fact, as far as I know, nobody knows who these people are. My dad found this on Ancestry.com as he was doing some research about our family's genealogy and history. This is a picture that was on there with no label, no name. Nobody on the internet knows who they are. You can walk into almost any antique shop in the country and you'll find photos like this that somebody found in an attic, maybe of their ancestors, maybe their great, great, great grandparents, and they don't know who they are. And yet these people, they lived a life. They had jobs, they worked, they had children, they raised their children, and then they went to the grave and they were buried and forgotten. And the essence of what Solomon says is that's you and that's me. Sun rises, sun sets. The wind goes around and around in its courses, and it doesn't change. You woke up this morning, and you probably thought, it is too cold, and I'm going to predict what's going to happen. In four or five months, you will wake up, and you will say, it is too hot. When will it be cold? And then six months after that, you'll wake up and say, it's too cold. When will it be hot? And then it's too hot. When will it be cold? And you will do that season after season after season for year after year after year until the end of your life. It's Sunday right now. You might be feeling good because you have a day off of work and you will rest. But tomorrow morning you will wake up and you will make your bed and you will go to work or you will go to spend time with your kids or you will go to school and you will spend 8, 10, 12 hours of your day engaged in some activity and then you will get back in the bed and you will unmake it again pull the covers up, go to sleep Tuesday, get up, make the bed, go to work, go to sleep, wake up, make the bed, go to work, unmake the bed, go to sleep day after day after day. And we'll get here next week. And some of you will be asked, how was your week? And you will say, I don't remember what I did. That's the cyclical nature of our existence. And what Solomon says is we continue that until the day we die. And they gather in a church and they put us in a casket and our friends gather around and they share memories and they sing songs and then they go to Rudy's and have some ribs and move on with their lives. And for a while, our kids and our grandkids will visit our tombstone until our great-grandkids forget our names and they move up. And a generation goes, and a generation comes. You feeling sad yet? Happy New Year. Okay. 
we have to drill down into the depth of despair when we place our weight in life under the sun before we can reach a place of lasting hope. And what Solomon says is that it is all vanity under the sun, first because the world itself doesn't change. Even if you say, you know what, I will have a lasting and meaningful life. I will be, we celebrated Martin Luther King Jr. this week. I'll be like Martin Luther King, or I'll be like Abraham Lincoln, or I'll write some great work of literature that impacts our civilization for generations to come, and people will remember my name. And Solomon would say, the bad news is this, that in a thousand years, even the civilization itself will be gone. And at best, your name will be a small footnote in the ever-rolling tide of an unchanging and incomprehensible planet. The world doesn't change, despite all our efforts. So he says, vanity, all is vanity. And then he goes on to say this, secondly, life never satisfies. Look at verse 8. He says, all things are wearisome. Man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing nor is the ear filled with hearing. In other words, you take in all of the information, all of the experiences, all of the input you can possibly take in, and guess what? It never satisfies you, so you keep looking for more. You take in more experiences and more information and more input into your mind and your eyes and your ears, and it does not ever satisfy whether that input is pleasure or knowledge or whatever it may be. I realize that some of you in here, for example, you may be big fans of like romantic comedies, right? Ladies, some of you, that may be what you watch. And here, here's what I would say to you. It, they're all the same, okay? It doesn't matter whether it's Colin Firth or Ben Affleck or Ryan Gosling or whatever. The plot is the same. The movie is the same, right? Boy meets girl, they hate each other. Then they slowly begin to respect each other. They love each other. And then the guy does something stupid. She runs away and hates him. And then he comes back and declares his undying love and she melts and they go off into the future happily ever after. That's it. That's all of them. You don't ever need to watch another. But you will, won't you? You'll watch 100, 200, 300 of them. And men, And women, it's the same with action movies. The stars are interchangeable. The plots are interchangeable, but we keep taking them in. Some of you went and saw the most recent Star Wars movie. I went and saw it with my daughter, and I thought, here's what I thought. This is very entertaining, but it's the same as the other Star Wars movies, right? The plot is the same. All they've done is swapped out the actors, It's the same movie. And in 30 years, we will forget it and they will make Star Wars 40 or whatever and it will be the same movie. You will never reach a point where you go, you know what, I've watched enough. I've learned enough. I know know everything. I understand the world. Now, there's always gonna be another one to watch. The same is true with pleasure, right? Whether it's sex or some substance, there's always more to do. And nobody ever reaches a point where they say, you know what, I've I've had enough of that pleasure. I'm satisfied. I'm full. Because the more you chase, the more this craving in your soul opens up. And it never satisfies. For some, it may be that you place all the weight of your hopes and dreams on your marriage. And the more you try to push into it and fix your spouse and make things better and make it right, the harder it gets. Because there is a craving in your soul that marriage or 
kids or family or your job or money will never, ever satisfy. And so Solomon says, the eye is never full. The ear is never full. You just keep trying to fill yourself with stuff. And it never satisfies. And nobody knew that better than Solomon himself. If you are saying, look, if I just had a bigger salary, more money in the bank, it would all be okay. Solomon's going to say, that's that's not true. If I just had more pleasure, it would all be okay. He's going to say, nope, not true. You would not be satisfied. If I just had authority and fame and power, it would all be okay. He says, nope, it's not true. I've had it. And I can tell you, vanity of vanities. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity because it never satisfies the deepest cravings of our heart. So he says, life will never satisfy the way that we want it to under the sun, which is another key phrase in the book of Ecclesiastes. Everything you do here and now will not fill you up like you wish that it would. So he says, it's vain. It is futile. It is fleeting. And history even repeats itself. Look at verses 9 through 11. That which has been is that which will be. And that which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one might say, see this, it is new. Already it has existed for ages which were before us. There is no remembrance of earlier things. And also of the later things which will occur, there will be for them no remembrance among those who will come later still. In other words, nothing is new. Everything is the same. Now, you may be thinking, no, but I've got some stuff that's new, right? I have an iPhone 6. It is new. Solomon say, no, 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 no. All we have done is created something that makes us faster at the same stuff we've always done. So now I can talk to people across the ocean faster. I can argue about politics with my Uncle Sam or whoever who lives in Houston faster, right? I can worry about money in real time on the internet. All we've done is create something that allows us to do the same old stuff more efficiently. We still worry about having enough to eat, We still worry about whether we are loved. We still worry about whether our lives will make a mark. And Solomon says it's all the same. And not only that, but you don't even remember what was before you. You don't even remember that all of this has been done again. Nations rise and fall, and they rise because of the same reasons, and they fall because of the same reasons. And the descendants who follow the first men and women in the nation make the same mistakes of greed and prejudice and pride and violence and sexual immorality. And then when the old generation dies, the new generation comes up and they don't even remember what the previous generation did. And so they make the same mistakes. And they invest in the same futile things. I mentioned that patent law firm I worked at at the beginning of this sermon. I remember talking to one of the attorneys one afternoon about his job. And I said, what's the uh, most challenging or difficult part of your job? And he said, the hardest conversations are when I have to talk with somebody who has an idea for an invention and I have to tell them that's already been invented. 
We already have a microwave or whatever it may be. You haven't thought of anything new. Every generation believes we will be the ones to fix the world, to change the world, to make it better. And what Solomon says is as you observe the course of history, everybody does the same things. There's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing you can look at that you can say, look, no one's ever done that before. No one's ever thought that before. No one's ever been there before. Again, here is what Solomon is pressing into that we often are deeply uncomfortable with. And it is this. Again, nothing on earth can satisfy our need for lasting significance. No matter how hard you try, you and I are finite, sinful, and deeply limited in our ability to change anything. Uh, Some of you may have stationary bicycles in your home, right? I know that Chris Thompson has one of those in his house, and I suppose they're good as far as they go, right? They can provide you some exercise, but here's the reality. You can pedal as hard as you want, as long as you want, and you will never go anywhere, right? You could watch three romantic comedies in a row on your stationary bicycle, and you will still be, what? Stationary. You'll be in the same spot. You'll be sweating. You'll be tired. You'll be huffing and puffing, and you will still remain rooted to the same spot while the world goes on around you. That's the imagery of Ecclesiastes, right? I run on a gerbil wheel, right? That's what a stationary bike really is. It's a human version of a gerbil wheel, right? I get on, and I go around and around and around and around and around. I go to work, and there's all this activity and all this endeavor. I come home, and there's all this activity and all these things that I do. And it's all me running on a wheel as nothing changes because nothing on earth will satisfy that need we have in our soul for lasting and permanent significance. And what makes it worse, it is all overshadowed by death. When I die, somebody else will get my money. Somebody younger, when I retire, will take my job. My great, great, great grandkids won't even remember who I am because the memories of generations more than two or three behind us are forgotten to the earth. Here's where Solomon will take us, though, that the best we can do is to trust in God. The best we can do, the hope that we have, is to lean all of our weight for lasting significance in God himself. Because God has the big picture. God made the universe. He's the one who can advance it to a real and meaningful conclusion. And he's the one who can give our lives lasting significance beyond the grave. Now, as we read Ecclesiastes, what we cannot help but remember is Solomon doesn't yet know what we know. He doesn't yet know about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He doesn't yet understand that there is somebody who has broken the cycle. That the endless cycle of birth, death, birth, death, the endless cycle of vanity and meaningless and futility was broken once for all when Jesus burst out of the grave on that Sunday morning and said, death has lost. And there will be a day when vanity 
and meaningless will no longer rule our lives because Jesus will return. And he will establish a world in which work has meaning, in which pleasures are lasting, in which relationships are not fraught with conflict and futility and frustration. The effects of sin and death will be gone. Because we know Jesus and he knows us, we are also free from the fear that we will ever be forgotten. Because there is one who knows our name and never forgets. And as Christian people, this is 1 Corinthians 15, we believe that ultimately all who know Jesus who are in the grave will rise again. And so we don't have to worry about uh, these cycles of futility because we know that it will come to an end for those who know Jesus Christ, that we will rise from the grave and we will live lives connected to him, lives of meaning, lives of purpose forever, that there is a life beyond this life, that the cycle has an ending. And so we then find our meaning relative to Jesus Christ. And and again, Solomon will give us hints of this, that we find our meaning relative to God himself, that my work has meaning because it reflects the one who created the world, that my family and relationships have meaning, not because I am anything in myself, but because my marriage and my family can be a small reflection of the love of God demonstrated in Jesus Christ. And in fact, the ability to have a lasting impact emerges in our lives when we say, I'm going to stop pressing weight on that plaster stuff of life. But instead, I'm going to allow the weight of my life to rest on the one who created and restores life. And so my life becomes a testimony to his life beyond the grave forever where meaninglessness will be wiped away. As we said at the beginning of this talk, the odds are good that there is something that you think, if only. If only. What is it? What is it that you're placing your hope in? Maybe it's money. Ecclesiastes is going to talk about money. I know that there are men and women even in this room that that you're stressed about money and you think, man, if I just had a little more, my life would be okay. Maybe it is pleasure. Maybe you find yourself where you're diving into every form of bodily pleasure or personal pleasure you can find. And yet you're aware that at the heart of it, there's this, this gaping hole because it doesn't satisfy. Maybe it's your relationships. Maybe you've placed so much weight on your family or your friendships, that they're crumbling under that weight. Could be politics itself, right? It's an election year, so I have to bring this one up. Maybe you say, if only we had the right president, the right Congress, the right people, if only, then it would all be okay. And you place your weight there. Maybe it's your education. We're in a college town reasonably educated group of people, maybe you think if we can just understand more, if I can just know more about how life works. Solomon's really going to talk about that one quite a good deal. The more you learn, the bigger that hole grows. 
Maybe it's your career. If I were just in a different spot in my career, where I had the prestige, I had the authority, I had the position that I really deserve, I would have meaning to my life. And Solomon responds by saying, vanity of vanities. All is vanity. And the best we can do is place our trust in the one who brings life from death and meaning out of vanity. Maybe that you are in this room this morning and you do not yet have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. If that is you, the message of Ecclesiastes could not be more appropriate for you this morning, and that is this. Your life will quite literally be meaningless apart from being connected to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who brings meaning. He died and he rose again. All who trust in him can know that their lives have purpose and meaning now and forever. For those of us who know Jesus Christ, here's here's what I would encourage us to pray. Simply this, that we will place our hope for meaning in Jesus. We'll place our hope for meaning in Jesus alone. As we walk through the book of Ecclesiastes, I think that what we'll find is that there are areas of our lives in which we may not even be aware of how much weight we are placing on things that cannot satisfy. And it's going to be a very uh, challenging and convicting book in that regard because it's going to force us to look at those things, those if-onlys in our lives, and trust God when he says, apart from me, it will never satisfy. Apart from me, It is all vanity and hopelessness and meaninglessness. And that is not to lead us to despair, but ultimately to the one hope that can provide meaning, found in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. I confess this morning that I am deeply convicted as I read the book of Ecclesiastes and realize how many times I place my trust in things that are inconsequential, short-lived, and will never satisfy. Father, change the way we think about life as we look at Ecclesiastes. Change the way we think about you. I pray that our hope would be centered on Jesus alone. Father, I pray that each day we would look toward the bodily resurrection of Jesus and the coming resurrection of the saints and the coming kingdom that you're going to bring and live our lives to reflect your values, your love, your purpose in the world. Forgive us for worshiping idols that will never satisfy, that will never bring us peace. And teach us to trust you and worship you alone. We thank you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. I wanted to share a few announcements with you guys. In light of what Matt is sharing with us, my heart is that these things, if our our hope is to be centered on Christ and him alone, my hope is that these things that we're offering through the church 
would be an opportunity for you to grow closer to our Savior, to connect with his people, and to uh, identify his calling on your life. So let me go through these real quick. We have men's retreat coming up. Guys, I hope you're ready. This is going to be a great weekend, February 19th at Frontier Camp. Please, I really encourage you guys to, to check this out and come. If you've never been a part of the Grace Men's Retreat, I'm looking forward to it. This will be my first one as uh, we've just moved back to town. So I'm looking forward to that. The registration is online. It's going. It's live. Another thing that uh, to consider is Men's Retreat, as much as we want every man to go on that trip, we also have to consider what that means for our campus and all the men that are participating in and even helping wives with their kids and all that kind of stuff with uh, with the morning. So if you if you know that you're going to be not going on that trip, on that retreat, go ahead and let us know if you would be available for that morning. Just to, even even just a one one time offer kind of thing. That would be tremendously helpful. We do want every man that wants to go to go on that. So we don't want anybody having to hold back and uh, and stick around to help with the setup. But we're looking forward to that. It's going to be a great time. Another thing, if, if you are dating, uh, seriously dating or engaged, we have a new thing that's, that's going on with the church this semester called Merge. And it's an opportunity for you to really get some pre-marriage counseling. Uh, it's going to be a really uh, wonderful time uh, with married couples. And so uh, check that out. It starts soon here coming up in a couple weeks in February. Additionally, if you're a married couple and you would like to participate in leading and, and, and giving that kind of wisdom and counsel to the next uh, generation of married couples, uh, we'd love to have you participate in that. I'm not sure if there's availability for us as married couples to participate in this spring's, but coming up certainly. So let us know if you're interested in doing that. The next thing is our college group is going to have a... Um, uh, an elective beginning next Sunday in the Club 56 room during the 11 o'clock service. So college students, we welcome you. We encourage you guys to come be a part of this six-week series called Tough Questions Answered. It's going to be led by our college staff, and it's going to be a, a great time of getting to connect together, but also go through some some great questions that we often wrestle with as uh, as human beings. So that's going to be a, a, a wonderful time. I encourage you guys to come to that, and you can just show up. It's a great, great chance. And then the last thing I wanted to encourage you guys with is our Grace Creekside mission trip this summer. It's going to be in June, and we're going to Greece. We're going to be serving with pioneers to do some refugee relief, and we'd love to, uh, we'd love to share more about that trip with you. We're looking forward to that immensely. So that's all I have for, the, for us this morning. You guys go in God's grace.